don't you love kids? I love seeing other people with the kids too sometimes, actually. Okay, look, uh, we started the series on the second book of Corinthians a few weeks ago and um, had a Father's Day and I'm aware for a couple of Sundays in between. I want to say thank you too um, for Rob helping us out. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and also Rob Huff was here last Sunday. I really appreciate the other guys can sort of jump in and help out as we um, open up God's Word together. But uh, good for us to be back together again today as we uh, keep working through this second book of Corinthians. And um, let me just get this happening. I read a little bit of a story through the week to help us um, sort of set the scene here uh, for where we're going in Second Corinthians today. And it was a bit about Hudson Taylor. And uh, Hudson Taylor was, uh, it was the stormy night in Birmingham, England, and Hudson Taylor was to speak at a meeting at the Seven Street Schoolroom. His hostess assured him that nobody would attend on such a stormy night, but Taylor insisted on going. He wanted to be faithful here. He said, I must go even if there is no one there but the doorkeeper. Less than a dozen people did show up at this meeting. But the meeting was marked with unusual spiritual power. Half of those present either became missionaries or gave their children as missionaries and the rest were faithful supporters of the China Inland Mission for years to come. A great picture here of faithfulness with uh, Hudson Taylor. Everything else sort of said about the night, don't go. But he said, no, I want to be faithful here to the gospel and faithful to the call that God's placed upon my life. And he went. And a great number of people from that meeting became missionaries for Jesus Christ. Uh, today we're going to see a picture of this here with Paul in the second book of Corinthians where he needs to defend his faithfulness to some extent here uh, with the church at Corinth. So uh, please join with me as we read now from Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 12 and through to chapter 2 verse 4. For our boast is this the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand. Just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have, and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For... The Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you, 
For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I've pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this great morning where we come together together and have this amazing and awesome privilege to open up your living word. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you will actually open our eyes up to see the truth that's in here, that Paul is a faithful man who's been filled with your spirit and faithfully serves Christ and the Corinthian church. And that same faith and faithfulness will be implanted in our hearts to grow and serve you faithfully, we pray. Uh, Lord, we ask for that help now in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible is a beautiful book. The more I read it, the more I love it. It speaks to us of the glory of God in the salvation of mankind through Jesus Christ, his Son. The Bible reveals to us the absolute faithfulness of God page after page without even a hint of untrustworthiness in God himself. And today in 2 Corinthians, again, we will see the faithfulness of God come shining through again. Now, you might look at that passage there and think, what is going on? What, what, is Paul, what the heck is Paul talking about here in this passage about coming and going and sparing you and this and that and, and, and um, faithfulness? You might think, well, what is really happening there? Well, we call 2 Corinthians a situational letter. It's a situational letter. And what that means is Paul is writing into a specific situation that's occurring in Corinth at that particular time. It's a bit like if I had to write a letter in response to a certain condition or a certain set of circumstances that may be happening here at Exchange or somewhere else. Someone presents me with a situation or a circumstance and I write a letter in response to what's happening there. And this is what 2 Corinthians is. It's a situational letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthians regarding certain things that are taking place there. And this letter has been inspired by God for us today to teach and learn and to worship him through that. But to help us understand what Paul is dealing with, we sort of need to see the backstory of Corinth, the church he's writing to. It's a church that's been really blessed by God. Numbers of people are getting saved. It's a growing church. This church also has spiritual gifts operating. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12, 14, you'll see that. The church is made up of really, really wealthy people and the church is also made up of a lower economic base as well. These people here in Corinth have a really diverse background coming from all sorts of situations. Some have been saved from what we might call respectable homes. They've had a a, a born-again experience to understand who Jesus Christ is. And others have been saved have a very broken lifestyle. Some have been saved from a broken and sinful sexually immoral lifestyle. Corinth was full of that. And others have been saved from greed and theft and bitterness and drunkenness as well here in Corinth. Corinth is a large cosmopolitan city which has attracted all manner of people uh, into its city life. And the church here also has attracted false teachers into this church at the same time in some respect, trying to cash in on this new believers in this new and growing church here in Corinth. 
It could be a bit like some of the, the false prosperity gospel ministries coming out of the USA. Some of these guys have actually heard about Corinth, have arrived in there, and they're trying to win over some of these believers to their own schemes, to build up a following for themselves here for these false teachers. And what these false teachers are doing is deceptively running down Paul. They're undermining Paul's ministry as a true apostle and trying to discredit him within this church. But then in the same breath, they're trying to inflate themselves as the sort of, you know, the next best thing that these Corinthian believers need to follow. So they're getting into the ears here of these believers and spreading their lies about Paul. Now, perhaps it's a bit like uh, a local club when you get these little factions that sort of arise up within a local sporting club or a community group. And these factions begin to try and jostle for power and they begin to destabilise each other. There's an agenda on sort of thing. They want to remove the president of the club. So they actually build this little bit of a power base and you get these tensions erupting inside these clubs. Something similar here is taking place in Corinth. And we live in a world that's marked by unfaithfulness, don't we? Not only in social clubs or sporting clubs, and I've been part of one with Elliot and the local football club, and I get to sit alongside these parents and I hear them talking about that group over there they don't like. I'm thinking, oh, I don't see the things that you see, but anyway. We live in a world marked by unfaithfulness. Not only in clubs, but also in relationships. Marital unfaithfulness. It goes through a whole raft of layers, this thing called unfaithfulness. Well, this is what's happening at Corinth. At this point, these false teachers are pointing towards Paul's travel plans. He's talking about going to Macedonia, coming back from Macedonia, as an indication of his weakness and lack of care and concern for them here in Corinth. Paul had intended to visit Corinth twice, on his way to um, Macedonia and on his way back from Macedonia. But then Paul changed his mind about these visits. And as soon as Paul had changed his mind and communicated that to them, these false teachers here within this church, or false leaders within this church, didn't, uh, who didn't like Paul, jumped on this change. They saw this as their opportunity here to launch into Paul and to build their own power base. See? Told you so. Paul doesn't really care for us, does he? He said he's going to come back, but now he's not going to come back and say, Paul doesn't really love us. If he really cared for us, he would stick to his word. He's not a true apostle. You can imagine the talk going on now as Paul's changed his mind and they see this as an opening to build their own power base. You could also imagine them saying, well, if I was the leader of this church, I wouldn't do what Paul's doing. I would be true to my word. This now then sets up the situation here that is happening in Corinth that Paul is writing to. And where Paul is going to is this. He wants to write about the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, Paul says, I want to be faithful to you to experience the grace of Jesus' mercy and his joy in uh, knowing and following him. So first, let's see here this unfaithfulness of the Corinthians. Let's remember where they come from. Uh, Paul has been radically saved himself by Jesus, is now a commissioned to be an apostle, a messenger of God, to take the good news of the gospel to wherever the Spirit would lead him. So Paul takes on this daunting task here to go to Corinth, where he doesn't go there with his hundreds of thousands of believers. He goes there with probably less than a handful of Christians. Believers, followers of Jesus at this point in time. Paul goes there to this incredibly large city. 
Paul goes to the local synagogue and he preaches Jesus from the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit moves. People get saved. They're born again and a church is born and a community of followers begin to follow after Jesus. So Paul has endeavoured firstly to be faithful to Christ in preaching the gospel and declaring that truth and then faithful to the Corinthians. Paul and the Spirit's power has overcome all sorts of fears within and without to go and do this in this very large city and a very challenging city at the same time. He's had a singular cause to be faithful to Christ and do all all things for God's glory. But this isn't the case for the Corinthians. This isn't the case for these guys. While Paul's away, they start to white ant him. Rumours and gossip fly around the church and Paul, about Paul and his lack of love and his lack of integrity here for these people. With no real justification at all, the Corinthians are being faithless toward Paul and sadly they're being faithless before God. Now it's not clearly written here that you know, the Corinthians are a faithless people but it's really clearly implied by the way Paul is writing, that they're discrediting him. And we'll probably, well, we will definitely come across it again in, in further chapters, chapters 10 and 11, where Paul addresses what he calls these false super-apostles within this church. We'll see it again a bit later on. But Paul's been sent here by God with the message of the gospel to open up the eyes of the spiritually blind to the beauty of Christ so they can be saved from, and rescued from sin and from Satan. But now they're turning on him. They're being unfaithful before him and they're being unfaithful, more importantly, before God. Now, I don't know what drives that. Maybe maybe they're just jealous of Paul and his apostolic authority and he's got this authority from God that he's come to be the messenger from God. Maybe they're just jealous of this position that Paul has. Perhaps they're unhappy that Paul is calling out their sinful, broken living and the church at Corinth did have a lot of dramas in there. Maybe they didn't want to face up to their own dirty laundry within their own lives. Maybe that was what driving them to get rid of Paul or try and discredit him. I don't know. Maybe they had a greedy heart amongst themselves and they were greedy to gain more money and exploit each other. Maybe that was driving this thing of discrediting Paul and trying to bring him down. All of those things could have easily driven those guys to uh, sinful and faithless living Uh, towards Paul and towards God because ultimately they are being uh, unfaithful to God when they turn their backs on Paul. Paul is God's servant to bring them the good news of Christ. So when they turn their back on Paul, they're actually turning their back on God at the very same time as well. This is one of Satan's uh, chief designs of bringing division into a church. It really, really is. Let's bring down the leadership. Because they're not dancing to the same tune that we would like to dance to. Let's bring down the leadership because they're not doing things the way we would like them to be done. They're not sort of suiting our style. This is one of Satan's chief ways of bringing division into a church. It's through unfaithfulness. And that's exactly what's here in Corinth. Unfaithfulness towards Paul and an unfaithfulness towards God. Okay, Paul's a gracious faithful leader here in faithfulness. Now he's not a perfect, faultless leader who's beyond accountability. Paul will say that. Not at all. He's like me. He's like anybody else sitting here. We've all got our faults and our weaknesses. So he's not beyond accountability. But Paul is a sincere, genuine, 
faithful apostle of Jesus Christ who has the best interests of the Corinthian people at heart when he goes to minister to them. Look at what he says in verse 12 here. Paraphrasing as we put it up on the screen. Paul saying, my conscience is clear that I, ha- that I have behaved before you with simplicity and godly sincerity by the grace of God. By God's grace, that's how I've behaved before you. I didn't come in some sort of worldly way to deceive you. There was nothing underhanded about what I was doing. And look again, if we look at verse 15, he says, My intention was to visit you twice so that I could impart grace each time I came. I wanted to come through both times to encourage and to spur you on. That was my intentions. That was what I was going to do. And I was genuine in that. So Paul's explaining what he was doing. But now we get to the next few verses, which are really, really important to help us understand Paul's foundation here of faithfulness that he was communicating to the Corinthian people. In verses 18 to 22, let's read them together here. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus, Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in It's been one of those mornings, hasn't it? Where were we? Verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You might sort of think, where's Paul going with that as he says this? What's that got to do with with what Paul's faithfulness is here? Well, let me break it down for what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying this, as surely as God is faithful and honest... God is faithful. As surely as God is faithful and honest, so also has my word been honest to you. Just as God is faithful and his word, so am I being faithful to you and my word. Paul says, think about this. Jesus Christ and the gospel message that we preach to you wasn't saying one thing and then we did something else deceptively at the same time. It wasn't yes and no, the message we preached to you. It always has been yes. Jesus' word is true and his word has been carried out, Paul is saying. It's been a resounding and faithful yes. And Paul goes on to say, in fact, every promise of God is a faithful and yes in Jesus Christ. And he says, and it's God himself who establishes us, you and me, Corinthians, in Christ himself, in this faithfulness. And he gives us his spirit to dwell in us as a down payment and guarantee of his sovereign work in his faithfulness in us. That's what Paul's saying in this little passage here. He's saying that Jesus Christ has filled and transformed me. And his faithfulness, the faithfulness of Christ within me, now enables me to live faithfully before you. That's the work of Jesus Christ. I don't say one thing, but as I'm saying that, in my mind I'm intending to do something else. That's not the Jesus who lives in me, Paul says. That's not the Jesus who works within me by the Holy Spirit, Paul says. 
because of the faithfulness of God, I am faithful before you. So Paul here is defending his faithfulness. But what he does here, he picks up on this really massive truth of the faithfulness of God that we can all depend upon. Because God is nothing like us. If it was Paul in his own strength, he probably would have been unfaithful. But God is not like us. We are entirely different to God. You see, we are so easily prone to change our own tune, tune, as it were, to achieve our own selfish ends. We can easily lie with all sorts of deception to gain what we want in our own strength or in our own powers or in our own nature. We can be at work with a workmate there that for some reason we are jealous about that person. For whatever reason that might be, we just don't like that person who's standing alongside me at the counter or sitting two desks up for me at work. And we can be really, really quick sometimes to spread a lie about their character to somehow run down their name before others. There's no truth in what we say as we try and discredit them and run down their character or there's perhaps a grain of truth in what we're saying but what we do is we grossly exaggerate the negative aspect of what might be in their character to really make them look bad. What are we doing? We're being unfaithful to our workmate or our work colleague and there's no glory to God in doing that. That's what we are so easily prone to be doing. But God is nothing like us. He is faithful. Numbers 23 picks this up for us. It says this in Numbers 23 verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfil it? What God says, he does. And he does it without qualification. He doesn't need our permission to do it. What God says, he does. God doesn't sit there, in Paul's view here, as as perhaps the Corinthian view is, God doesn't sit there with a daisy flower, pulling off the petals and saying, yes, no, yes, no. That's not how God does it. What God says, he does. Sometimes I think we think that God maybe is like that and we're just hoping we might get that yes pedal off the daisy flower. What God says, he does. God says in Genesis chapter 3, I'm sending a seed of the woman who will crush Satan's head. God says, I will, I will crush the enemy of mankind by destroying his work and I'll do this by sending my own son to defeat sin and death at the cross. That's what God says in Genesis 3. And what happens? His own son comes. Millennia later. Thousands of years later. Faithfully fulfills God's word. God says that through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ, we receive full and complete forgiveness by putting our trust in Christ and turning away from sin we receive full and total forgiveness God says that and as a faithful sign from God as we do that we receive his Holy Spirit to live and dwell with inside of us as a guarantee of that redemption what God says he does he's faithful and this is what Paul is pointing to 
Paul goes on to say that actually every promise of God finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Quite literally this, Jesus the Son of God in human flesh completes every promise of God we have in his word. Every promise of God we have in his word. In Christ, in Jesus, we have access to every promise of God's because of Jesus as our representative in his perfection we now are able to enter into those promises in ourselves we have nothing to offer God to access those promises there's nothing worthy of us or nothing deserving about us at all but in Christ we can confidently come before God and we have complete and total access to every promise of God's word why because God is a faithful God What God says, he does. And this is what Paul picks up on here with the Corinthians. He said, I serve a faithful God. The gospel of Jesus that is working in me says that all I've done has been in faithfulness before you guys. Not in my own strength, but in his strength working through me. The faithfulness of Christ empowers me to be faithful with you. So there's the gist of what's happening here in Corinth. Paul's got to defend his faithfulness to some aspect to the Corinthians. But I guess we want to ask that question today, what does that mean for us? I mean, Paul's defending himself before the Corinthians back, you know, a couple of thousand years ago. What's that mean today here in Shepparton, um, Victoria, Australia? Well, I want Paul to guide us here today as we think about how this applies to us today as well. So Paul goes on here to explain why he changed his travel plans. Look in verse uh, 23 of chapter uh, 1. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. And in chapter 2 verse 1 he says it again. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Why is Paul saying that? Well Paul's written, we reckon, up to four letters to the Corinthians. We've only got two. And that we think there's one between Corinthians 1 and Corinthians 2 that we don't have, that was a rather strong letter. When I say strong, it was quite a rebuking letter for rampant, unchecked, sinful behaviour that was taking place in the church, that was bringing no glory to God. Paul, as an apostle, had to confront this rampant sin that was leading a people away from God and bringing great distress to the church. What Paul wrote to them caused them pain. Nobody likes their sin and their brokenness to be exposed, as it were, brought out in the open. Paul had to confront this as an apostle, as a a messenger of Jesus. So Paul, in the Holy Spirit's wisdom at this particular time, decides not to visit them so quickly after this letter he just sent, while everything was so still raw and painful. He felt that if I come again in the middle of all this pain and sort of rawness, It could make things worse. So he says, in mercy, in mercy, he allows the Holy Spirit to deal with their sin before he comes to their beginning. He said, I'll spare you. He wisely said, this is not the right time to come back. You know, you might have been expecting me, this is not the right time to come back. Which if we think about it, is what God does with us. We deserve immediate justice from God, but God, he is faithfully patient with us and sends his spirit to convict us of sin and then convince us of his grace. These are God's merciful actions towards us who don't deserve it. So what does that mean for us today as we think about that? What's happening there? 
So we must also faithfully, carefully, lovingly, not overlook others' sin who are within our body. That's what Paul's doing there. He's not just sweeping it under the carpet. He's addressing here this sin. But at the same time, in godly wisdom, we don't drive our brother or sister into the ground with an overload of guilt or condemnation because of their sin. Sure, we need to hear things about our broken living and the Spirit uses us as messengers to help others at times to perhaps see things when they're living in the blindness of sin. But then we exercise wisdom so that we don't put a burden of guilt on somebody's back by crushing them with condemnation. It takes spiritual wisdom for that. And that's what Paul's exercising here at this time in Corinth. Sure, there was some hard stuff I had to say, but I think at the moment I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit just work on that before I come back and see you again. We too must do the same thing. We must bravely call it out, but then allow the Spirit to work in His convicting power with the hopes of bringing repentance and restoration through that. That our brother or sister may see a faithful God who delights in giving us mercy and grace uh, from him. Now that might be you today. I don't know. You might feel an uneasiness or an uncomfortableness here as we talk about this and you think about your position before God. And maybe this is the first time you've been to Exchange Church. Maybe this is the first time you've ever been to a church full stop. If that's you, we are glad you're here and we think you are really, really brave for coming. If you're feeling in that particular way, we would love to point you towards Christ who comes and takes away that guilt and shame by his work at the cross. Paul also shows us another motivating factor here for the faithfulness he endeavoured to show them. And we can see that in verse 24. He says this, Not that we lord it over your faith... But we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Paul's laboured in faithfulness before these Corinthians here, in Christ, so that they would know Jesus' joy. We are working for you for your joy. I'm not just changing my plans to make life hard for you guys. That's not why I'm changing my plans. I'm working hard in faithfulness in the Spirit's wisdom so that you will know and you will grow in the joy of Christ. That's why I'm changing my plans. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about where the Spirit is leading me. And the Gospel calls us to that very same thing today for us in our work here in Exchange Church. We work together here at Exchange for everybody's joy. Sometimes it's a bumpy road to get to that joy. But that's what we're working for. And we're doing the same thing for the community that we live in, the greatest shepherding community. Not only the greatest shepherding community, but also across the lands and across the oceans. In Kazakhstan with Ben and Megan, we are working for people's joy. And sometimes that requires us to change our plans because things happen. Joy is a motivating factor that comes out of this as we work together here in this call of the gospel for joy. Here's something else that comes out of this that Paul shows us in this situation today. Look in uh, verse 4 of chapter 2, and Paul says this, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, 
but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. There's a really clear picture of Paul's heart just in that verse there, isn't there? A really clear picture here. His faithfulness before God shapes his heart to be one of love, deep love. There's no joy for Paul when he looks back at the Corinthian church and he sees them selling themselves out for sin. There's no joy for Paul when he looks back on the Corinthian church when he sees them actually dividing themselves and conquering themselves within their own body. There's no joy in that at all for Paul. The same gospel today calls us in deep love to work together to be faithful towards God and faithful towards each other in this love. Our hearts in faithfulness before God must, with loving compassion, reach out to all people and demonstrate this abundant love that God has for us uh, through Christ. That is what faithful gospel living does. It loves, as Paul shows us. Faithful gospel love says hard things and does hard things. It says hard things and it does hard things. You see, as Paul wrote these letters to Corinthians, he had to address really, really hard things. And it's not easy to approach people that you might know well, but you can also see that they are living in sin or brokenness. Because you know that what you'll say to them will probably cause some hurt and maybe even cost you your friendship as well as you lovingly approach them with the challenges they're facing. But if we're truly motivated by gospel love and our desire to be faithful before God, we'll carefully risk our friendship, as it were, with the aim of restoring our brother or sister in Christ. Won't be easy, though. Hard things are hard to say. And if someone happens to be on the receiving end of a hard conversation like that, we surely shouldn't respond the way the Corinthians are, undermining Paul, discrediting Paul. We actually must see what our brother or sister is doing is bravely coming out to be a demonstration of God's love and grace towards us. They would love us so much that they would risk a hard conversation to, as it were, draw us back to uh, the path of Christ. See, God won't leave us in this brokenness. Paul's not going to leave these people in brokenness. He's going to faithfully come before them in a loving but hard conversation with the whole idea of redemption in the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, gospel faithfulness requires gospel love and deep gospel love as a motivating interest. Now, in ourselves, we haven't got this. We haven't got this deep gospel love that will actually really cause us to maybe have those really, really hard conversations. And we can't produce it at will either, this sort of deep love. Paul loves these Corinthians, but they're turning on him. He probably has every reason to just write them off and just move on. But he's got this deep underlying love that actually draws him to go next level, as it were, to come back and to deal with these really, really hard issues. And the reason is this. Paul has met somebody. Paul has truly met somebody. Paul has been lovingly captured by Jesus Christ himself. The Spirit has revealed the risen Christ to Paul on the road to Damascus And this has transformed the life of Paul entirely. He has seen the faithfulness of Jesus Christ at the cross when Paul didn't deserve that faithfulness. 
Paul has discovered the faithfulness of Jesus when everybody else had deserted Christ and turned their backs on him at the cross. Paul has met this faithfulness in Jesus Christ. Paul has discovered the faithful love that every single person wants and needs in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul wants everybody to see this faithful Jesus. Paul wants everybody to grow in this faithfulness of Christ, that they too would uh, glorify his name by living in this way and being faithful before all people. And it's a glorious thing when we see that. When we see this inspiration of the life of Paul inspiring us to live faithfully before God, and it's what the Spirit uses for us today to grow in faithfulness before Him. So I pray. I pray that we would take that away today as we see what's happening in this Corinthian church of this undermining of Paul, but Paul being faithful to them, that would inspire us through the love that Christ has placed in our hearts to be faithful first and foremost to Christ, faithful to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, but then faithful to the community around about us as well at the same time. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you today that we can come and just uh, sit here and uh, think about this word and pray that your spirit would just uh, drop upon us uh, what's happening here in the life of the Corinthian church. Lord, we today thank you for your faithfulness in rescuing and saving us. And that same faithfulness that you demonstrate and you reveal to us through your spirit by the message of the gospel and the Lord that saves us and the Lord we now are empowered by that same spirit to live out this faithfulness before others. Even when they may spread lies about us, Lord, even when they may accuse us of being unfaithful, I pray, God, that we would remain faithful to you and faithful to each other. And Lord, I pray that would be a vivid testimony of the gospel working inside of us and that you would use that, Lord, to draw other people to Christ through the faithfulness he has shown us. Help us in that, Lord, I pray today. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.